0: Pop of a beer or a cold libation Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme I went and took a call from brother Jason And he tells me that he has a little dream He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast And I ask him what you got He said I'll start off with some talking And some moody clips and popcorn fighting Fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation Kickstarts that I'm watching And some blind unboxing Full month door movie marathon Sometimes I let the dogs come on Contest and of course you know it's all about games That's a slow down. let's just start with the name It's the nerd. Variety. Podcast. With the other Jason.
1: Welcome back to the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. Today is a mailbag episode. Before we get in the mailbag, though, I want to mention that the deadline to get your calls in about the movie Lady Hawk is the 22nd of September. That is this coming Friday, as this is published. So get those entries in. What we do for anybody that's new to the podcast, every month we pick a movie, and everybody watches it. They call in. They give their thoughts about the movie or review or funny stories about it or whatever they want to say about the movie is welcome. And then I compile them all together and play one episode of everybody's thoughts on that particular movie. And this month's movie is Lady Hawk from 1985, you know, with Michelle Pfeiffer and Rucker Hauer and Matthew Broderick. So if you have thoughts on Lady Hawk, or if you're dragging your feet, go watch it, call in, or send me an email, or however you want to get me the entry, do it on Discord, whatever, and let me know your thoughts so I can put in the episode. All the ways to reach me are in the show notes. You can also use all those ways to contact me to send me your entry for this month's contest. The contest is fish out of water, your favorite fish out of water story or duck out of water story. And the idea is a story where the hero is totally out of their element. Like say flash Gordon, you know, a re- modern day earth man transported to the far few. Well, actually he's plant transported to planet Mongo, right? Or Buck Rogers transported the 25th century or There's another example at the end of this podcast, but it could be a movie, it could be a book, it could be a game, it could be a song, doesn't matter, Uh, but send me your entry and I will put it together with all the other entries. I pick one randomly and that person's going to get a prize. In fact, I might pick a couple people randomly and the prizes might be a mix of physical prizes or drive through RPG gift certificates. We'll also give some money to charity. It'll be a great time, so get those entries in. The deadline is the 27th of September. 27 September is the deadline for the fish or duck out of water contest. With that out of the way, I've got a bunch of calls in the mailbag, so let's just dump it out and go through them.
0: Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a by your spouse, but the operator screaming is coming from inside the house.
2: Hey, Jason, it's Barry here. Did nothing other than testing the that I found out on my phone can kind have of international calls, so fairly really cheap to fill out the right package. And I'm just thinking I can use this in the future to ring in at you whilst I'm driving if I don't like what he- <laughs> you If you slide off, groups again, I'll be phoning right away to tell you. Uh, No, I'm basically just saying I've been looking forward, hopefully, to our Stay Frosty game coming up soon. So me, you and Ireland, hopefully, see if we can rub any more interest. But, yeah, just to try this out, really, see how this works and see if it's an option for me to bring in a bit faster and more often in the future. Anyway, take care, Jason, and I'll speak to you
1: soon. Hey, Barry, thank you so much for the call. Barry, of course, is GM Shadow over at Shadow the GM Podcast, and I really appreciate it. We're looking forward to a game of Stay Frosty coming up next month. I've been running Stay Frosty. We had another session with the other group I'm running it for, and we had plenty of blood and gore and violence. It was a lot of fun. Stay Frosty is basically a black hack based game, although it's changed a fair bit to let you play things like aliens and the movie Starship Troopers, things like that. I'm using a supplement for it called Slipgate Choke Point that basically emulates first-person shooters like Doom, the the old video computer game Doom. And it's been a lot of fun. Highly, highly recommend it. Great, great product. The other thing Barry mentions in there is he had got himself some pretty inexpensive international calling card minutes, I guess. And that's what he was using to call my Google Voice number. All the ways to contact me are in the show notes, there is a Google Voice number there. If you're outside the U.S., you will get charged, you know, long distance. And for people outside the U.S., I also have SpeakPipe, which is free. You can send a message through Spotify for podcasters. You can send an email to at gmail.com. If you attach a audio file to it, I'll play it on the air, make you famous, like I did with Barry. There, um, all the ways to reach me are in the show notes. You can also reach out to me. I'm on a bunch of discords. You do not have to spend money to send me a message. (laughs) I appreciate it. And Barry's in a situation where that's the best option for him. But folks, I I give you plenty of ways. So please don't feel you have to make international calls or anything crazy like that. There are plenty of other ways to reach out and interact with the show. Okay, let's move on to our next caller.
3: Hey, Jason. don't for minutes. Keep calling in even though you said not to pause the po- podcast <laughs> to listen to it i stopped and listened to some jimmy buffett upon your uh, your idea i was driving when i was listening so i quickly asked the uh, you know the the ai overlord to play i guess my favorite jimmy buffett song uh, a pirate looks 40 but then after that i thought well you know he went to paris is also an amazing jimmy buffett song and ended up listening to pretty much I think most of what I could remember was on the album that I had so many years ago, uh, Songs You Know by Heart. So anyways, uh, thanks for kind of bringing up that memory for me. I had read already that he had passed, but hadn't taken time to really think about it. That uh, Clyde Codwell, 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 uh, edition of that game sounds really cool. I don't know if the game sounds cool, but the art looks really awesome. So I'll probably look at it. I'm not sure I'm so into uh, really crunchy systems these days, says the guy using chainmail, but you know, <laughs> It's probably worth looking at. It seems pretty cool. You know, I love all the different stuff. I like that people are messing with system. I think that's important. I feel like sometimes we fall into a trend, right? And everybody's just doing the same thing. So you get the same like D20 system or the same percentile system or the same whatever. And everybody, you know, it's just with different flavor on top of it. We're all, you know, hacking the black hack to make the whatever hack we want to make overall, you know, basically hacking swords and wizardry uh, to make a million different games. And yeah, I love the people are experimenting with different mechanics still. So that for that reason alone, I definitely want to check it out, even though I don't know that I want something that's super crunchy. But the magic system, interesting, right? Uh, you know, as we've talked about before, I'm not a huge fan of most roll to cast systems. So I'd be curious how this one plays out at the table. So thanks for kind of pointing that out. I will definitely take a peek at it, look at the quick starts, and definitely look at the art, because it's really great. The other game, Machine Guns and Magic, that sounds super fun. I don't know if you know this, or if we talked about it before, but a couple years back, I did this whole thing where I used Operation White Box, and I ran some D&D adventures, you know, effectively having World War II soldiers going into fantasy realms. Like, I ran Raven and a grenade killed Strahd, which was pretty awesome. I ran... um, Ooh, what's the one where the, they're under the pyramids? Anyways, I ran a bunch of different things where, uh, you know, stuff that I thought would work, right? Ravenloft works, right? You're in, uh, you know, uh, Eastern Europe, right? Sent to, to check something out. You get sucked into it. The, you're in the, you know, uh, North African campaign so you can do some of the desert stuff. So, yeah, I think you can definitely, um, Pharaoh, I think is what it's called. So I think you can definitely do that crossover stuff. It's, it's really fun. Because the way I did it there is they were shocked and didn't know what it was. Like, I played up that part of it. But being called in is really interesting. And the idea of, like, running out of ammo and having to change and adapt to the world. That sounds super cool. And something I would definitely be into playing. I may have actually podcasted this, about this before. But, and I know you said not to do this, so I'm not saying you said to do that. But as much as, like, in a movie or in a novel, the idea of, like, the... The characters not knowing, so in the case of a game, the players not knowing can be really cool. Yeah, it really depends on your group, because I actually had somebody do that to me. We were supposed to play. I hadn't actually, it's funny, it was also Operation White Box. I hadn't actually played. I'd only really run it, somebody was like, oh, I'll run it. It'll be really fun. I'll run some, you know, Operation White Box, and they put out the whole idea for the adventure, and we got like 10 minutes into it, and basically it was Predator. They added sci-fi to it. There was a predator chasing us. We had to fight. So even though, I and again, this is on me, I guess, even though it was probably a pretty fun adventure and the people who said they really liked it, I was kind of like just mad the whole time that we weren't doing the thing that I was told we were going to do. So, you know, looking back on it, I, I probably should have just been like, fine, I'll just enjoy it. But man, in that moment, I was like, really? Like, I don't want to play sci-fi. I want to play this. So yeah, I could totally see making sure that You have the right group, and the group themselves know, but maybe they can play their characters, obviously, the characters don't know, which I think is very cool. As far as the contest is concerned, I am going to stop this message and record another one so I can give you a clean recording for that.
1: Hey, Daniel, thank you so much for that call. There's a lot packed into that call. I will try to respond to everything. I might have missed a couple points here, but it's hard to believe Jimmy Buffett's gone, isn't it? Um, yeah, somebody, you know, he's just been there my whole life. As far as Mystic Days, the Caldwell edition, did I already play that message? I don't know, but I've got other messages answering thoughts by you (laughs) about that Kickstarter. So I'm going to play those after I finish talking here. Um, as far as Machine Guns and Magic. Yeah, I think, and the switcheroo kind of part of it. I think you have to tell your players up front. There are other games that do that, too, but I, I think it can't ruin it for players if they don't know. Some players are cool with it, like I'd be cool with it, but not everybody is. Another game that kind of does this is Year of the Phoenix, where, you know, the Cold War, it, the, the wall didn't fall. and The Cold War kept going, and you're part of the United Space, Space Force, and, and you're up in, in orbit, And something happens, you get frozen, and you come back to the planet years, decades later, and it's basically Planet of the Apes, right? But this time, instead of apes in charge, it's communists in charge, you know, which is worse. And so you have to help build up resistance to fight the communists that are in charge. And that's what Year of the Phoenix is all about. It has the unfortunate legacy of one of the missions is to take down one of the two towers of the world trade center so that doesn't date very well i mean this is well before 9-11 but yeah so but that game the whole player's manual that game is being a member of the space force and making up your character to be part of the space force and and your character sheet and your skills and everything are is part of the space force but the whole game Like, you never play as a space... You could play, like, the first adventure as part of the Space Force before you get frozen. But the whole game is after you're unfrozen and on the planet in the future. So, yeah, it's the same kind of bait-and-switch thing. I think you have to tell your players. Because if they think they're playing the Cold War in space and they end up playing Planet of the Apes instead, they they might not be thrilled with that, you know? Let me play these other calls. They're responding to the idea of... The way mystic days does dangerous magic
4: hey jason i have to chime in on your call or daniel's call kind of your call about channeling or about dcc comparison to rolling to cast so and then you describe mystic days and you said they got a channel to cast well warhammer fantasy has been doing that since uh first edition you got a channel to cast you get as much success as in your channeling and then you have the energy to cast a spell they do that on the tabletop as well uh, for a Warhammer fantasy battle and I have, I don't think you have to channel though in, in 40k but in any case the in the Warhammer verse whether it's 40k or old world uh there are consequences if you fail your roll, especially if you miscast you, know, you roll on a separate on another table and then um something bad can happen although it's usually kind of innocuous but if you roll high enough I guess you can summon a demon and that's happened before in the game. So I think uh, there it's not as I would say, it's not as cool as what happens in DCC. Maybe, I don't know. Um, But you can, you can in a way, uh, spell burn where you can hurt yourself and in 40K, I know you can do that with psychic powers. You can in a way spell burn, damage yourself and uh, get more successes. So, uh, so there are ways similar to that, but I, I, I do kind of think, kind of think, um, I don't think, I think, still think DCC does it better, but it's not the only one. And I'm kind of unfortunate that Mystic Days has sort of taken, taken the rule right out of Warhammer. Oh, well.
1: Of course, that was Carl Rodriguez, the Gemologist Presents. The next call is from Jason Hobbs of Random Screed and
5: Hobbs and & Friends. Hey Jason it's Hobbs. Hey I'm mostly calling in a response to Daniel's call when you were when he was talking about DCC and the magic situation and I would say haha no surprise low fantasy gaming and even better Tales of Argosa, because low fantasy gaming and second edition are definitely trying to make magic dark and dangerous so in the first edition in low fantasy gaming deluxe you know you every time you cast a spell you automatically cast it but you also roll this dark and dangerous magic roll that goes up one each time and then in the in the lore or the setting you can also have an area that is more you know wild magic and so maybe that in affects, half a mile take exit 87 for us 30- maybe it affects that roll even more now in uh, tales of argosa it's a little different because the die that you roll actually changes, making it more likely to have the dark and dangerous magic roll go off. Like when you're first level, you're rolling a D8 and then maybe in
4: 87.
5: up to a D10 or a D12. And it's not only when you cast, it's also whenever you use a magical item. So anytime you're doing anything with magic. In a quarter mile, turn left onto US 30 East. And possibly piercing the veil, There could be repercussions, which, as you well know, could involve madness.
1: Thank you for those calls, guys. Hobbs, that is really cool. The idea that not just casting magic could cause you problems, but also using magic items. Like you say, anytime you pierce the veil, I really like that. And I'll probably incorporate that in my future games. Uh, Players beware. You know, in my theme song, it calls me the other Jason there at the end. That's because Hobbs, Jason Hobbs, was already out there podcasting with Random Screed and, well, at the time, Hobbs and Friends and and whatnot. And he, you know, does live plays and things like the actual plays and all that kind of jazz. So that's why I'm the other Jason, because of Jason Hobbs, if if anybody was curious about that in the theme song. Okay, let's go on to our next caller who has a new podcast, The Silver Key.
6: Hey Jason, this is uh, Dark Fluid. I just listened to your system Sunday, and I can't believe you brought up the novels. Uh, uh, and I, I always uh, pronounced it Coromonde, but Coramond, uh by Brian Daly, the Doomfairs and the Star Followers. I, I had not heard anyone else mention those novels in 30 years, and in fact, <clears throat> the reason I was, and I am currently reading them right now on my nightstand, um, I have physical copies I got in good shape from eBay and the reason I bought them was because an old friend recommended I read them 30 years ago and I never did. So I was going to get them for him as a gift. But I knew the first thing he would ask when I sent them to him is, have you read them? What did you think? So I'm hurriedly reading them so I can send him the books <laughs> as a gift. but. Yeah, outstanding books. I just wanted to mention that uh, it, it just goes to show you, no matter how obscure you think some of these titles are, somebody else has uh, has seen them. Enjoying your show, enjoying movie nights, uh, enjoy playing Barbarians of Lemuria, and uh, hopefully um, we get to play again together sometime and keep pumping out episodes because I enjoy listening to them.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate that very kind words. Yeah, I really enjoyed those books, (laughs) you know, and yeah, it's kind of a weird coincidence. What I'm reading now, actually, I'm at night in my nightstand. What I have is a stack of Hunter S. Thompson books because I'm (laughs) rereading Hunter S. Thompson. But what I'm listening to on Audible when I had when I'm not listening to podcasts currently is the first of a trilogy of novels. This is Servant of the Underworld. And I'm going to butcher this poor lady's name Alette D. Bedard, uh, these are, how do you describe them? They're not totally historical. They're set in Mesoamerica and magic is real in Mesoamerica in these novels. So it's a fantastical historical version of Mesoamerica, but it's also like a detective story, like the he- head priest of the dead for, for this one, you know, empire is tasked with doing this investigation It's really interesting. Um, Yeah, really neat stuff. The Servant of the Underworld. Pretty cool. Um, As is Hunter S. Thompson, but that may be an acquired taste for uh, today's readers. Although I do highly recommend you try it. In fact, if you want to get a a little taste of Hunter S. Thompson, some crazy person at Cycle World in the 90s gave him a Ducati to, to do a test review of. And I'll put a link... In the show notes to that article because it's great, um, yeah, it's wonderful. Anyway, let, let's let's get back. Uh, Ducati, by the way, is a, a sport bike, uh, you, you know, motorcycle. Uh, anyway, let, let's get on to our next caller and and get the show back on track. Hey, Jason,
2: Daniel, fans, keep calling in. am probably going to sound terrible because I'm in the car, but uh, I just listened to MW's review.
1: Just to clarify, he's listening to MW's. Review of Hawk the Slayer.
2: I, which I thought was really, really nice and fun. Although it's funny because it made me think because he was talking about how, oh, his players think that combat should go really easy like that. I mean, I suppose it depends on who you're fighting, right? These characters are all, in theory, like high level characters, like four, fifth, sixth, seventh level, maybe. And, you know, they're, they're high level characters and they're fighting you know, bandits or whatever, right? Like one one inside creatures. So, assuming they're mostly fighters and you're playing AD&D, they should be getting one attack per level. So stepping into a group with, you know, four or five hero characters, all throwing four or five attacks in the first round, I think you could go like that. Oh, it's interesting though to think about that, right? And that's using AD&D rules. By the book, raw, right? If you're using Chainmail, obviously save back. Anyways, Pretty cool, it just made me think of that. And like I'm curious what level the characters are on and what they're facing all the time. You know. Obviously though, by A D and D rules, they won't get any experience points for fighting those bandits. But that wasn't really the point of it, right? The point was just to get the gold. Anyways, I thought it was a pretty cool comment, really interesting. I like when people associate the uh, you know, the movies to the to the game, because I think that's the fun since so many of us calling in are obviously games.
1: Daniel, thank you for that call as well. And in fact, I don't know if I said it earlier in the episode, but Daniel has the Bandits Keep Media Empire. Just look for Bandits Keep and he'll pop up. Go check all of his stuff out. It's really great. And I agree with Daniel here. It's really, I don't always tie movies into games, but a lot of times we'll talk about it a little bit. We did a little bit with the Revenge of the Ninja episode. And in fact, I have a couple calls that are going to be coming up at the end of the episode about that Revenge of the Ninja episode, where those callers are going to talk about those mechanics that we talked about. So yeah, it's definitely a good way to tie it in with the hobby. But before we do that, we've got a call from John Allen Large, the Red Dice Diaries hey there jason it's john here just been listening to your episode of 547 where
0: you're talking about machine guns and magic very much enjoyed the episode i've got to admit i'm a big fan of the mix of fantasy modern and future stuff it sounded really interesting the game that you were talking about and i was intrigued by your
1: idea of assimilation i mean like you say it makes sense you know whatever future tech you bring with you into a fantasy world once that's gone you're pretty much just a person and you're gonna have to learn to get by with the stuff that's available
0: in that fantasy world so yeah i think that could be a really interesting idea for a campaign having people come into a fantasy world and then having them learn to
1: adapt to survive in it so thank you very much for the episode dude take care and i'll catch you soon
7: Yo, Jason, so I just finished listening to you and Joe talk about Cho playing Cho, and it was awesome, man. It was totally awesome. That movie, Revenge of the Ninja, is so friggin' cool. In the scene that you guys talked about towards the end where uh the silver ninja makes the dude fall face first in a pile of cow trips that scene is forever etched into my mind the first time i saw that movie i was like oh my god that's the greatest thing i've ever seen in my life it was so cool um yeah dude and so that's why there's a game i know you're not a big video game guy but in 1998 a game for playstation maybe it was playstation 2 i don't think so was released called tenchu stealth assassin and if you want to play a badass ninja game this game does it all it's so friggin cool they have the they have the trick that joe was talking about from the comic book that the silver ninja does on the rooftops where you have like the life-size dummy you can do that in this game there's shuriken you can sneak up on people it's Amazing When that game came out in 98, that blew my friggin' mind. It was my favorite thing. I played the crap out of it. Tenchu, Stealth Assassin. It kicks ass, dude. Anyway, awesome, awesome episode. You and Joe did great. I'm gonna get out of here. I'll talk to you later. Peace out.
1: Did you ever have somebody say they were gonna leave, but they they just never seemed to be able to actually get out the door?
7: Man, I am... (laughs) I'm glad you brought up Assault Rifles in Night of the Ninja. Holy crap, dude. Those things are brutal. Even with D10s, they're brutal. But that game, as you pointed out, and as Joe was saying, it's an awesome game. Uh, I, I highly recommend, folks. If you guys want to play, I really, really strongly recommend playing, getting in touch with Jason or Joe. Uh, and it's just great. But as far as, like, ninja tricks and illusions and stuff, it's funny, this conversation, I'm listening to it now, is coming on the heels of one of our Wrath of the Righteous games where the Bard, Nyx, basically used that ability she got attacked and she has a special ability where when she gets attacked she can automatically teleport to a different location and leave in her stead an illusory double of her so it basically works as the same way as like all of a sudden smoke bomb and it's a log now it's teleportation and it's an illusion of Nyx the bard so yeah that was awesome man it just got me pumped anyway take it easy peace out
1: Of course, that was Joe Richter the Hindsightless Podcast. He was also the GM for the first ever Pathfinder 2 actual play homebrew campaign, Wheel or Woe, incredibly successful audio podcast, actual play that still gets tons of downloads to this day. If you haven't listened to it, check it out. Now, as far as your comments, Joe, yeah, I didn't even think about that. But you're right, what Nicks did in our game, because we're playing Pathfinder One Wrath of the Righteous right now, what what Nick's did in that game is exactly <laughs> a ninja trick, right? That that is is very awesome that you pointed that out. Very cool. Yeah, I love these old movies. They they are what they are, right? I mean, it's not real world. It's it's for fun. But yeah, the the when he throws those couch cal- drops down and then throws those ball bearings and the guy goes face first, boom! You just feel it, right? Fun, fun stuff. Okay, now we have another call on our Revenge of the Ninja episode. And this is from BJ, also known as Game Doc, of the Arcane Alienist. He had taken a hiatus from podcasting, but he's back. So make sure you go check his show out. Take it away, BJ. Hey,
8: Jason, just listened to you and Joe Salvador on the Revenge of the Ninja episode. Great episode. That, that was really uh, really good to hear you guys analyze the film. And now I got to go watch that. Um, at the first where you guys were talking about how kind of ninjas sort of entered western cinema you know in in the in the 80s uh with with kind of the tropes we now kind of associate with ninjas i thought that was interesting you know you're talking about revenge of the ninja the second in the ninja trilogy but the first one was um 1981 you know this movie was what 1983 1981 was the first first movie in that that series uh 1981 is also the first year that the hand appeared in daredevil Uh, when Frank Miller was writing. I think Frank Miller is kind of, I I believe, very and largely responsible for sort of the way ninjas are portrayed in comic books uh, through his work with Daredevil. And, of course, he he also introduced the hand as a foe for for Wolverine. I I believe he did. Um, And I think a lot of the ways he he approaches Batman, certainly echoes um, uh, Japanese comics. Uh, you know, he was heavily influenced by Lone Wolf and Cub, which we, you and I still need to get together and do do, a, do an episode on, on Lone Wolf and Cub. But, uh, yeah, I thought that was just sort of an interesting, 1981 kind of being a point where it sort of entered, you know, at least Western cinema portraying ninjas. Uh, and then, um, uh, although I guess, yeah, there was sort of the, the sort of brief appearance of some ninjas in a, in a Bond movie. You, you guys had mentioned that. But but really, what we were talking about, kind of juxtapose with, kind of when it comes into comics, and and it's a similar kind of you know, uh, semi magical. Well, I guess the the hand really are magical, but this sort of you know the ninjas are these mysterious, larger than life, you know, invincible type of of warriors. Uh, Pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. So, Uh, and of course, teenage mutant ninja turtles. There's there's a new movie out now. You know, the original. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics was a straight-up satire of Frank Miller's take on Daredevil. You know, it was the, the only the only hint that it was satire or, or funny was the fact that these are Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the story. That, but otherwise, their dialogue is just deadpan as serious as anything Frank Miller does in his comics. Um, and then this more more actually goofy, cartoonish, you know, slapstick stuff came came later. But uh, but the new movie's really good if you get a chance to see it. it's. Um, I particularly appreciate, it. of course, it's not a martial arts movie per se, it's more of a just an animated action comedy. But uh, what I appreciate about it, maybe in this, this instance, more than the, the ninja references are, it does a pretty good job of showing what it would really be like if you turned four 15-year-old boys loose without an adequate supervision. <laughs> On, on a situation like occurs in the movie. So I appreciated that because I took my son, who's almost 15, to see it. And it was like, yeah, that's kind of what you and your friends would be doing if if you were in this situation. So um, the other thing I thought that was, was, was interesting it, towards the end of the episode is you guys were talking about how would you work some of the stuff that happens in the movie into role-playing, a role-playing game, particularly the stuff like, um, you mentioned the, the this, you know, the, dis- the ninja, so there's, a, there's a cloud of smoke. He threw the smoke bomb and he disappears, and then you know the shuriken or the dagger that you throw him are suddenly sticking in a log or a board or, or a dummy, and it's like, H- where did that come from? How did they do that? And how would you put that into a role-playing game? One thing I thought that might be possible is if you would induce a flashback mechanic for ninjas that has something to do with ninja prep or ninja instincts or something like that, where, where so many times per game, the ninja could almost sort of blades-in-the-dark style flashback do um, Oh, by the way, yeah, I, 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 I picked up a, you know, there, there was a, there was a log or a spare two by four when we walked by that construction site. I picked that up and had that tucked under my shirt, and, and that's that's what I left in my place, right? Or no, I had time to prep beforehand, and I put that that decoy dummy, you know, in the elevator shaft, knowing that I would, I, I would, we would wind up at this point. That was all part of my plan. So you give them so many chances to do that as part of their ninja power or their, or their ninja skill set. Um, you know, it sees a little narrative control to, to account for the fact that they don't know what situation it's going to be in, but it's really going to be in keeping with the tropes of the genre that the ninja had something sneaky with prepared a hand of time to, uh, to account for that uh, situation. So anyway, again, great episode. I really enjoyed it, and I'll talk to you later.
1: Some really great points there. I know when I did... Shokasugi's 75th birthday episode, I think we talked about the history of the Ninja movie in the West some as well. But yeah, I had forgotten about the comic side of it with Frank Miller and the hand and then the foot, right? Um, and, and even the role-playing game, because Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles role-playing game came out shortly after that. The That was actually out prior to the cartoon. And the role-playing game had the tone of the early comics, which was, yeah, a send-up of Miller's Daredevil, but it was still very serious and, and more adult-themed. So the I really like your idea how to gamify the ninja stuff. I would be a little careful doing flashbacks, though, personally. I mean, that might work great for other people's tables, but some of these things, like how do you explain some of the gimmicks they use in that movie, right? I, I don't think you can, and I think it's almost better if you don't. You, you know, I think it's better to say, Oh, yeah, I've got a dummy preposition that pops out to do that. That's fine. But I don't know that I don't know how much it would add to the game to spend have a five minute flashback of carting the dummy up the building and putting it in place and, and all that. You know what I mean? I think it would break the drama of the scene. It would break the the flow of the game to do that flashback like that. Uh, I've played games that have flashback mechanics like Wise Guys for Savage Worlds by Eric Lamaru. And they can definitely work, but I think I don't like the idea of a flashback in the middle of an action scene. And I see the ninja using these tricks during an action scene. Now, if it's outside an action scene, maybe, I I don't know. I'm open to what do people think? Uh, So I'm looking forward to hearing people's thoughts on that because I can be totally off base here. But yeah, I kind of think you'd have to be careful with the flashback scenes when you do them because you could interrupt the flow of combat. And, and also, with ninja magic, some of it's so ridiculous, and some of these ninja tricks are so ridiculous, it's almost better not to explain it, I think. <laughs> but great call, and yeah, great great comments on the comic side of it that I totally left out with, and I have no excuse. So, Okay, now we're going to hear a voice we haven't heard for a while, our good buddy, Nate Gilbreth, and he's going to talk about the Fish Out of Water contest, and give us the final word
0: hey there brother jason um i, I was listening to the episode about the the um machine guns and magic and it occurs to me that there's a retro clone of that out there called od green that was um run on the uh occult or outrage um podcast a while back as a solo play so it's good to see the original getting some, some, some love. Um, I will say that I've, I've, um, I'm going to win your contest right now. We don't, you don't really have to continue the fish out of water story contest because I'm going to win it. The, there's only one answer to this question, and it's Big Trouble in Little China. Jack Burton is, is the ultimate fish out of water through the whole movie. I never realized this one. I was, you know, I was a young adult and a young kid, you know. I was watching this movie, and I loved the, you know, got ninjas and samurais and the, the three winds and all these things. I never realized, you know, what was really going on that this movie was sort of a send up um, of this sort of the, the sort of white hero, you know. Sort of movie in that the, the, the American, the, the Westerner, and through the whole film is just a fish out of water the whole time. He's shooting his little machine gun in the air and rocks fall on his head. And, every, you know, there's, 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 there's these great scenes where, you know, everyone takes care of all the bad guys and he's, you know, he hardly gets in a, a, a punch, you know. Um, he does have his little moment at the end, but it, it's funny because he, he acts like the toughest guy in the movie for the entire movie. He's convinced he's not a fish out of water, but he absolutely is, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. I, you can end the contest now because this is the ultimate answer. Um, son of a bitch must pay, etc., etc. Goodbye. And remember, folks, if you sent a call in to Jason and you haven't heard it on this episode, have no fear. It will appear.
1: Colin, thank you for reminding everybody of that. That's Colin Green of the Spike Pit Podcast and I do have at least one message standing by in the mailbag waiting for the next mailbag episode. Nate, that's an amazing entry, and if we were judging the entries by the quality of the entry, yeah, you, you would probably win, without a doubt, because Jack Burton is very much a fish out of water, and he's not the hero. Wang is the hero of Big Trouble in Little China, without a doubt. But sadly for Nate, but luckily for everybody else, I don't judge the contest by the quality of the entry. I randomly pick one of the entries as the winner or winners. So you still have time. You can still enter the contest. You have till the 27th of September to get those entries into me. All the ways to enter them in the show notes. That's all I have for you today, folks. I will be back on Tuesday, the 19th of September, with a special Talk Like a Pirate Day review of Roger Corman's The Wild Angels with my buddy Minion, also known as Rob, from Confessions of Wee Timmer Spooshi. Until then, be excellent to each other.
0: You're a joker by your spouse But the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in
2: the box?
0: What's in the box? box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head And the only question left is if I could see him dead
5: Bring on the
0: glow Bring on the glow I'm assuming that your partner back there in the woods, Don't look away, don't look away, don't look away, don't look away. Well, the zombies are arising and the world has gone to hell. We're living for the dying and we're dying for
2: the train wreck.